All right, let's take our Bibles, if you will. Turn to John's Gospel in chapter number four. Special place to be this morning. Always glad to get together with God's people, aren't you? So I often say that there's nothing that's happening in heaven right now that can't happen here. They're worshiping in heaven. That's what we're doing. There's praise in heaven. That's what we're doing. There's joy in heaven. That's what we've got. And Jesus is ever interceding in heaven. And we can do that here. As a matter of fact, it dawned on me one day that there's no more God sitting on the throne than what inhabits this little heart. Christ in you. Not half of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hey, some heavenly things that can take place here. And I'm glad that I can be a part of it. The three things that are hard to do in life, I often say, one is to climb a fence leaning to you. The other is to kiss a girl leaning from you. And the third one is to preach last in a morning conference. I've tried two of those. None of your business, which ones. I want to preach in these mornings, as the Lord would give liberty, on a conversation with Christ. I noticed that uh, Jesus would talk to the rich. He also would talk to the poor. He would talk to religious folk, and he also talked to sinners. He talked to Jews, he talked to Gentiles. He talked to men, he talked to women. He talked to adults and he talked to children. I was just wondering, has he ever talked to you? Because I believe that any relationship with Jesus begins with a conversation. My sheep, he said, hear my voice. I want us to notice here, we'll begin reading in verse 4, how the Lord talks to this woman of Samaria about water. And what he'll do in his conversations, he'll always talk to you about something that is temporal because he wants to talk to you about something that is eternal. He will discuss with you things that are earthly because he wants to get you to things that are heavenly. Uh, He will elaborate on those things that are natural because he wants you to understand some things that are spiritual. He'll talk to you about you because he wants to talk to you about him. And I want us to notice how he talks to this woman about water because when Jesus talks to you, It's not going to be just a little talk with Jesus. It's not going to be chit-chat. 
He's not going to be just passing the time, but he's talking it's going to be a life-changing conversation. And I want to emphasize how he's talking to the woman about water because he wants to change her life. And if anybody ever needed her life changed, this woman did. Let's read these verses, if you will. Verse number four, and he, speaking of Jesus, must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour, or about high noon, 12 o'clock our time. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. If you understand the history of Israel, you know that after Solomon, the nation split. You had the north and you had the south. The north, of course, Samaria and that area, was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And they were deported around the world. And then those other nations that Assyria had captured, they imported those folks. And they began to mix racially. And so as a result of that, the pure Jew of Jerusalem in the south did not even recognize the Samaritan as a Jew. They were a mixed breed. And if they were going to go up to Galilee, Capernaum, that area, uh, they would cross actually the Jordan River, go up the other side, and then come back across to keep from going through Samaria. And so that's what she's talking about there. Look in verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith to thee, Give me drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Amen. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidst thou truly. 
The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Drop down to verse number 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. And saith to the men, come and see a man. Which told me all things ever I did is not this the Christ. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying which the woman testified. He told me all that ever I did. Simply four things that I want to emphasize concerning this conversation with Christ about water. The first thing that I would say is that if Jesus is going to talk to her about water, he's going to have to get her to the well. That is the providence of God. The Bible is filled with providence, is it not? I think about Abraham when he went up on Mount Moriah to offer his only son. The angel stayed his hand. He looked over, the ram was caught in the thicket. And there he offered the ram instead of his son, and he had already said, the Lord shall provide himself a sacrifice. That was God's time and God's providence. I thought about Moses' mother, Jochebed, as she took that little baby and put him in the box of the ark, the Nile River. I've been privileged to be at that spot. And of course, uh, Pharaoh's daughter felt like she needed a bath. She overheard the crying of this child, had compassion, and drew him out. That's where Moses got his name drawn out. Moses' sister Miriam said, I know a woman that will take care of this baby. That's where social services and welfare started. <laughs> because the government paid for every dime of the raising of Moses. And she had Moses long enough to where she could implant in him more than all the teaching of Egypt could take out of him. That is providence. Amen. Esther, Mordecai said, you have been brought to the throne for such a time as this was not by accident that Mary and Joseph had to go pay their taxes at Bethlehem. The Bible prophesied Christ would be born there. That was providence. Have you pondered the providence of God in your life to get you to that special place to where you could hear his voice and he could speak to you? I don't know about you, but I think about my own experience been born back in the hills of West Virginia. Uh, you've heard me testify. If you've been here, I can't preach long without it. None of us can. And uh, 
I was the youngest of nine children raised to adulthood. My mother left when I was a year and a half old, never set eyes on her. My dad raised us nine children as a drunk and never remarried. But I can remember uh, being at home with him, the last one at home, the others had all left. And one night he went into DT's and he took a meat fork and jabbed it in his throat right here. I'll never forget that blood running down. Long story short, they took him to the hospital, put him in a mental institution. Had a brother that lived in Cleveland, Ohio, went up there for work, he and his little wife. He was 13 years older than I. He also was a drunk. Spent all of his time in the bars and so on. But they figured they better come back and get me because I had, at 13 years old, already quit school. I was not going to school. And uh, so they came and got me and took me to Cleveland, Ohio, and they rented a, an, an apartment over top of some very strange people. <laughs> they called themselves Christians. Now you've got to understand, I've never read one verse of the Bible, never heard a prayer prayed in my home, never the name of the Lord mentioned, but what it wasn't mentioned in vain. But that lady downstairs began to witness to my sister-in-law, and she started going to church and got saved. First time we'd heard that term in connection to religion, saved. And uh, my brother, uh, she began to work on him. My sister-in-law did. I can remember just a week or two before he got saved, I uh, went into the bars. My, my brothers were my idols, and I just went where they went. And so we spent a lot of time in those places. And I remember that night in that bar, just prior to him starting a fight, the phone rang uh, the guy came over and said, uh, Joe, you've got a telephone call. And he went and took it and he come back to me and he said, we got to go. And I said, why? He said, well, Sandy said that if I didn't come home, she's taking the youngins and going back to West Virginia. I said, let her go. <laughs> we got on that motorcycle. I don't even know whose it was. He was drunk. I'm telling you, road made it back to the house. But he became so miserable that it wasn't a week or two that he got saved. And the way that I know about that, of course, I still hadn't been to church and we were riding down the road and my, our first language was foul language. There was no mother to teach us any different. And so I just talking normal. And he looked at me on that Sunday afternoon and he said, Dana, I'd appreciate if you wouldn't talk like that around me anymore. I said, well, Joe, you were talking like that yesterday. He said, yeah, but I got saved today. And so as a result, I went to church on uh, three occasions and there, Brother Tim's father, Jim Fuller, what a blessing to see you, Brother Tim, preached the gospel faithfully and I got born again, hallelujah. But I'm here to tell you that it, that was providence. You may be here this morning and you've been raised in church and your mom and dad are godly people and uh, maybe you... you uh, have, uh, you've had the privilege of being around God's people for many years. Understand that's not by accident. God in providence always brings us to the place to where he can speak to us. He's got to get her to the well if he's going to talk to her about water. Now he uses uh, two things to do so. I would just mention these and go on to my next thought. He uses her thirst. In other words, he'll use the natural elements of your life to get you to where he can talk to you, as I say, spiritually. 
everybody needs water. She needed water. She's going to have to go to the well sometime. And so he draws her there through her need or her thirst. But he also uses time. If you'll go to Genesis chapter number 24, and there's about three occasions of this, uh, when the uh, servant goes to get a bride for Isaac, Rebekah, that servant meets Rebekah at the well, and the Bible said at the time of the evening when women go forth to draw water. In other words, it was the custom that women would go draw the water and they would do it in evening time. But as we notice in our text, she's not going at evening time. She's going at what amounts to be about 12 o'clock high noon. Somebody said, well, why would she go at 12 o'clock high noon? Because she doesn't feel comfortable going to get water with these women because of her lifestyle. And these women probably don't want her to go get water with them because of her lifestyle. And so what she's thinking is, I'm going to head on up there. Long before they do, I'll get my water and be gone. There won't be nobody there. And there wasn't nobody there except Jesus. Isn't that amazing how the timing was just right uh, to meet her need and to bring her to the discussion of physical water so he could get her to spiritual water. He will use the necessities, the nature, and the negatives of your life. That is his providence, the hand of God in the glove of humanity. If he's going to talk to her about water, I say he's got to get her to the well. But I noticed, and we'll move to our second thought, that oddly enough, this woman seems to have a, a connection to this well. Uh, she seems to lay claim to this well. As she speaks, she has a sense of this well. She knows so much about it. And she's very sentimental towards this well. Notice in verse number nine, as we emphasize in reading the text, she knows the racial distinctions that arise at this well. She talks about it. This well seems to be a dividing line. Hey, you Jews and you folks down there on your mountain, and then we've got us up here on our mountain at this well. She knows all about the divisions and the distinctions as far as race is concerned, as far as religion is concerned, and she speaks of that while she's here at this well. She also knows in verse number 11 the depth of this well. She's very familiar with it. She said, how are you going to draw water? Look how deep this well is. She also lays claim really of a descendancy in this well. Though she recognizes him as a Jew and she realizes that uh, the Jews do not recognize them as full blood Jews, uh, she claims Jacob as her father in verse 12. I thought greater than our father Jacob that gave us this well. She said, in other words, I want all Jews to know that my great-great-great-grandpappy was the one that dug this well and handed it down to his family, and it came down to us. She not only knows the distinctions and divisions and depths and descendancies, she knows who drank of this well. Why, she said, Jacob drank of this well. And she said, his children drank of this well, which meant Joseph drank of this well, and the children drank of this well. 
She knows about the devotion to this well because she talks about the fathers who worshiped in this mountain where this well is and your fathers worship uh, at Jerusalem. In other words, she is all about this well. But did you notice in verse number 13 that, that Jesus annihilates everything that she says in connection to this well and the claims to this well? Look at what he says in verse 13. Whosoever, lady, I want you to know, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. In other words, what I want to say to you is if he's going to talk to her about water, he's got to get her to the well. But if he's going to talk to her about water, he's got to get her over this well. And what he is saying to her, lady, I want you to know, I don't care who dug this well. I don't care who owned this well. I don't care who handed this well down. I don't care who's drunk of this well. I don't care. I don't care about this well because this well will not change your life. In other words, what he's saying is get over it. You're going to have to get over this well. He had that problem when he dealt, uh, of course, with the Pharisees. They said, well, we have Abraham as our father. He said, get over it. That's all you got. Ah, they said, we got Moses as our lawgiver. He said, get over it if that's all you got. I'm here to tell you this morning, if religion's all you got, get over it. If church membership's all you got, it ain't gonna change your life. Get over it. It ain't deep enough. You say, well, I've been a member, I've been going to Sunday school for, I got pins for 40 years. Get over it. Say, my daddy's a preacher. Get over it. Well, I've been baptized. Get over it. I'm here to tell you that I didn't uh, have, I I, I, I didn't have no religion before God saved. And I ain't got much now and ain't looking for nothing. But what I'm glad to say to you, though I say I are a Baptist. Yes, I are a Baptist, but I'm glad Jesus got to me before the Baptist did. She's going to have to get over this well because I'm going to tell you, she was drinking of this well when she got married the first time. She was drinking of this well when she was Married the second time. And it wasn't helping her none. She was drinking of this well when she got married the third time and it hadn't changed a thing in her life. She was drinking of this well when she got married the fourth time and she ain't no different. She was drinking of this well when she got married the fifth time and she's the same woman. As a matter of fact, now it's gotten worse because she's shacking up. The wells of this world cannot satisfy a thirsty soul. You gotta get over it. If he's gonna talk to her about water, he's gotta get her to the well. That's his providence. He's gotta get her over the well. You just gotta get over it. That's her past. But then thirdly, I would uh, want to point out to you, let's look in verse number 
14. You know, Jesus has knocked all the props out from under by exploding her well. But if you're going to tell somebody that they're lost, you need to be able to tell them how to get saved. If you're going to tell somebody there's a hell, you need to tell them there's a heaven. If you're going to tell somebody who they are, you better be able to tell them who he is. Notice what he does in verse number 14. But whosoever... (laughs) He said, lady, your well ain't deep enough. It won't quench the thirst that you've got. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well, a water, an artesian well springing up into everlasting life. In other words, if he's going to talk to her about water, he's got to get her to the well. He's got to get her over the well, but he's got to get her beyond the well because he's got to get her to another well, another source, which is that living water. And I want you to notice the process in which he brings her to himself because he is the water of life. He's going to, in verse number 15... Notice the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now we need to pause there for a moment. I'm glad Jesus didn't end the conversation right there. You see, she's not ready for the real water and the real water is not ready for her at this point in time. Because what Jesus is going to have to do to get her to where she can drink of the living water, he's going to have to confront her. He's going to have to convict her. He's going to have to convince her. He's going to have to convert her. In other words, this matter of drinking water, you don't just walk up and take a drink of this kind of water. There's a process that has to happen. He encounters her and he exposes her. And this process involves two things. He's he's getting he's getting her beyond this well. He's getting her to where the real water is so she can drink of that water. But the first thing that he's got to do before she can drink of the real water is she's got to understand who she is. You see, the first principle of the gospel is you must understand, as Brother James preached, you are a sinner. If you don't see the sinner part, you can't never see the Savior part. Now, in modern-day evangelism, all we're interested in is a profession and a confession of some sort. Maybe some kind of a prayer. Some folks would have took her right there in verse number 15 and baptized her. Did you hear what she said? She said she wanted some water. She don't even know what that water is yet. She got no idea what that water is all about yet. 
I'm glad Jesus didn't just stop right there because if he'd have stopped right there, I'm going to tell you, as far as she would have went was sir. She kept calling him sir. Sir, that's religion. Sir. But notice what he says to her. Go. Now, I can hear folks say, oh, don't, 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 don't. Listen, she's praying such a pretty prayer. She wants to join the church. She's going to get her membership transferred and all that other stuff. She's going to be one of us. And Jesus said, no, she's not. Not until she finds out who she is. First thing the Son of God told me when he spoke to me, I can remember it clearly. He told me I was a sinner. You got to find out who you are. And he will show you yourself first of all in light of himself. She is lost. And once she finds out who she is, now she can see clearly who he is. Did you notice the difference in the language? She has been calling him, sir. She has said, "You are you compared to Jacob? And then she went as far as to reference him maybe in verse 19 as a prophet. But after he confronted her and revealed to her who she was, notice what she said in verse number 29. Come see a man which told me ever that all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? <laughs> huh? Now, how in the world did she know? She ain't going to be able to drink of this water until she knows who the water is. And it's not until she finds out what's in her that she knows what's in him. That he is that living water. Let us understand. Let us preach a pure gospel that must begin with sinners who are lost on the road to hell before they can ever find out who Christ is. The thing that overcome her is that he knew so much about her. He said, I know who you are. And once she found out he knew who she was, it is there that the scales of her eyes dropped and she knew who he was. And the Bible said that she left her water pot and went into the city. Somebody said, well, she didn't have no water. Yes, she's got plenty of water now. She's taking plenty of water now. She's got living water. So what he has done is he's taking, he's getting her, uh, he's going to talk to her about water. He's got to get her to the well. He's got to get her over the well, and he's got to get her beyond the well. So she can drink of that well. But notice with me lastly in verse number 29. I want you to notice that first word there. It seems to be a little uh, 
contradictory what's going to happen right here, but it's true to all our experiences with Christ. Notice what she says. She has gone. She has gone to the men of the city. Verse number 29 said that she said to these men, come, come. Now, if they're going to follow her to him, where are they going to have to go? Where's she going? She's going back to the well. Can I say it to you this way? He's talking to her about water. He's going to get her to the well. He's going to get her over the well. He's going to get her beyond the well. And then he is going to forever bring her back to the well. Isn't that true in your life and in my life? That the place in which he saved you Though there's no virtue in that place, is the most precious place. It gives her a purpose for her life now, and that what she's going to constantly do the rest of her days is point people to the well where she met the real well and drank of the real water. Come see a man that told me everything I did. Come back to the well. Now, I believe that this conversation with this woman was a personal conversation. It was just him and her as far as we can tell in the text. The disciples were gone. But can I say to you that all conversations with Jesus will be personal. I don't care if there's 10,000 around. He's interested in talking to you. He's interested in getting you to that alone place where it's just you and him and you can hear his voice. But it's not only a personal conversation, it's a private conversation. Jesus and her has talked this over. The disciples come back and he ain't even talking to the disciples what he said to her. It's a private conversation. And I'm going to tell you something. If you and Jesus have a conversation on his part, he'll keep it private. That'll be between you and him. But yet I notice in these further verses that this, this personal conversation, which is a private conversation, becomes public. Mm-hmm. It does. Yes. Think about it. And can you hear folks as they're talking about this woman now? And they say, you know that woman that uh, has been married so many times? Yeah, I do. Well, you know what? I knew she'd been married for, I thought she's married six times, but I found out that she didn't marry that last man. They've been shocking up. Somebody said, who told you? Wasn't the disciples, they didn't know. It wasn't Jesus, he didn't say nothing. You say, who was it? It was her. <laughs> Honey, Jesus ain't going to have to tell what happens at the well and what he says to you. You'll be the first one to go tell it. 
you never get over going back to the well and telling what happened at the well. And she's waving everybody. Everybody's got to go get water. I can hear her say, are y'all going? I'll go with you. I'll go to the well with you. I can't get over the well. And she shares the truth about the well. But honey, ain't nobody else told it. She told on herself. Oh, yes. I love testimonies because what testimonies are is you telling what the Lord told you. I've heard of all sorts and all kinds. I mean, a man that you couldn't tell that he'd ever tasted liquor stand up and say, I was a drunk. So why are you telling that? Because that's what the Lord told me. He saved me from that. Man who stand up and say, I was a drug addict. He said, well, why are you telling that? I can't help it. That's what he told me. <laughs> huh? I was a rebel rouser. I was a, Paul said it. I was the chiefest of sinners. Who told you that, Paul? Jesus did. But you'll never get over what he told you and sharing what he told you. You'll forever want to tell what happened to you at the well. Matter of fact, I would say it this way. If your wife don't know what he told you, if your husband don't know what he told you, if your children don't know what he told you, if your parents don't know what he told you, if the kids at school don't know what he told you, he ain't told you nothing. Because if he ever tells you something, you'll be the one that's going to tell it. You won't have to tell him to tell it. Can you imagine this dear lady maybe living to be in her 70s and 80s in the midst of a good old-fashioned service And most of the folks don't remember nothing about her early days. That's all past and gone. She'll stand up and say, Preacher, if you don't mind, I'd like to say something. I know a lot of you have heard it, but i got to say it again. One day I went up to the well at high noon. I thought I'd get away from everybody. There's somebody up there. I thought he's just a Jew. And I thought he's just somebody respectful. And then I thought maybe he might even be a prophet or some great man. But then he told me how wicked I was and I was wicked. And I found out he's the water of life. And I drank of that deep well. And I ain't got over it. You know what good old-fashioned worship is? It's a bunch of sinners coming together telling where they got their first drink of the well. And their grand youngins are watching her going around that hanky shouting and praising God and saying, what, mama, what's wrong with grandmama? Well, ain't nothing wrong with her. She just drank of the well. Come, come. 
come, come to the well. And every time you testify and you're saying, come on to the well. Now, we don't have time for testimonies. But let me just take a moment and let two or three or four of you just mention the place where he talked to you. And you found out he was the Christ. You found out who you were. And you found out who he was. Hallelujah. Somebody else. Brother Stenick, was you just praising or raising your hand? Hallelujah. <laughs> Oh, boy. I reckon why you remember that place. Come, she said. Well, they said, where are you going? She said, I'm headed to the well. There'll always be that physical place and that physical time where you can take others because that's where you met the spiritual Christ and drank of the spiritual water. I often say I was saved. I, I heard the preaching on that Sunday and I left out of there and I went over, was uh, doing some things and I was coming back down, down a little alley between 46 and 47th Street, Clark and Train. My nephew heard me preach that and he went by Clark and Train and took a picture of that alley and they ain't nothing but old mattresses and junk. They put trash in there. What much better then? But I tell you, it's the most precious spot on earth because it's in that little alley. I drank of the water. And 10,000 times I've taken folks to that little alley. Somebody else, raise your hand. Hallelujah. At the well, drink some water. Somebody else. Over and over. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I remember that because I was in the church at that time. Somebody else. Hallelujah. One more. One more. Hallelujah. I couldn't tell you how many people I've had tell me over the years they got saved riding in their car. That could be dangerous. One fella said, Hallelujah. One fella said he got so bad under conviction. He said, I drove over on the side of the road, a country road, and I got outside my car, got down, and said, I got saved. 
Said I walked six miles to my house before I realized I'd left my car. to the well, over the well, beyond the well. It ain't a blessing he'll let you come back to the well. Hallelujah. Praise God. I should have said it that way. seeker-friendly outfit wouldn't fit in a place like this. Somebody said, well, what's church all about? It's where you come and find out who you are. You'll never see who he is. Had he not confronted her with herself, she'd have spent the rest of her days calling him sir. Sir. Far as she could have got would have been a sir. Or she might even associate him with some great man in her life. Oh, I like him. I like Jesus. He's sort of like our grandpa, Jacob. Oh, I want to tell you, I've heard him. I I think when I talked to him, I felt like he was maybe even a prophet. That's as far as she could see because that's as far as religion's going to take you. But when he said, you go get your husband, she said, "Uh uh-oh, he knows something. She knew that he knew her. She found out who he was. Brother Williams, I was on my way to a party. Had the cooler loaded up. 
<laughs> a buddy of mine came by the house and said, would you go to church with me? <laughs> and I went and the Holy Ghost told me I was going to hell without God. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, come unto me, all you that labor to heavy laden. I got on that altar that night and I called on God. I got born again and I ain't been the same. Don't want to be the same. I ain't planning on being the same. How can I help but to get in a service like this and not say thank God for the day when I went to the well and Jesus saved my soul by the good grace of God. Hallelujah. I want to thank the Lord for speaking to me. Praise oh, God. I want to tell you I got saved off a bus route on a hot July summer morning in the storefront building in the back of that building on a kitchen chair in a nursery. I never talked to God in my life, but I bowed my head that day and I said, God, I said it three times. I said, Lord, don't send me to hell. And the third time I said it, something on the inside said, you don't have to say that no more. Hallelujah. Thank God. You know, I hadn't thought of it, but I wonder about how many of them men got saved at the well when they went up there. They asked him to stay around a few days. Something must have happened. Hallelujah. 